ask in your name that you give us wisdom. Wisdom about uh, how we fulfill our roles and responsibilities as family members. How we can honor our parents. Uh, Please teach us a lot of wisdom right now. Please. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in to uh, the way of Christ. How following Christ affects our family relationships. The difference that he can make uh, for us as we proclaim to be his followers. So, uh, last, last session we covered how to have a good fight. And I know that almost sounds a little difficult to hear that Christians aren't supposed to fight because we're perfect people. And no one in a church of this size has ever had a fight with anybody. Uh, so psychologist Karen Young, this is something she said, that one of the best predictors of divorce is not whether a couple fights, but how they fight. Well, there's a ton of wisdom in that. University of Michigan, all kinds of uh, schools and agencies have done the research behind this. It's not that we fight. That's a, that's a given. It's how we do it that can really separate those couples that are going to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships or those couples that you, you just can say, you know what, they're going to be a stat in any, any day now. They're going to go down as a statistic. So uh, let me give you four statements that I think are going to be helpful on how, how to mitigate against damaging fightings. Number one, <clears throat> your spouse, your family member, your friend is really not your enemy. And that might sound like a cheesy little churchism or preacherism, but the fact is, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, who's the enemy, Lee? It is Satan. Okay. I mean, he really is pitted against us. There is an enemy. There is a clear and present danger, and it's obvious. And in a Christian home, and by the way, I'm not talking about a dysfunctional home. I'm not addressing homes that battle with mental illness. And I'm talking of the serious variety, not the everyday depression and anxiety stuff. Uh, Or where there's criminal behavior. I'm not talking about that. But in in the Sunday to Sunday Christian home. Your spouse, your mom, your dad, your sibling is really not your enemy. And when we selfishly, narcissistically jump to the idea that my spouse is my real opponent, my spouse is robbing me of a good life, or my mother and dad are holding me back from being truly happy, there's some really skewed, selfish perspectives that are letting that happen. And we've got to remember who the real enemy is. I love the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. Come, let us run together. I love that. Husbands and wives, learn to cooperate with each other. Uh, Secondly, you're not as righteous as you think you are. (laughs) Take some ownership of you. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit for your spouse. I love this statement. Christian marriage isn't finding the right person. It's about being the right person. And this idea that somehow... You know, this idea, let me push you, this idea that God has this number one perfect choice for you in in marriage. And there's only one. And I don't know how many, how many, seven billion on planet Earth, right? You're close to it. And you've got to find that one. And if you find that one, you'll be ultimately happy in marriage. And don't settle for number two. Don't settle for number three, because that'll be really bad. And you'll have... 
percentages of, dis- of, of disappointment and dissatisfaction the farther down you go from number one. And sometimes we get so caught up in the idea that we deserve perfect and we deserve the ideal that you miss the whole point. Marriage is not about the ideal. It's not about finding that number one special God-ordained pick, the one he just had in mind so that you get to be happy. <laughs> Welcome to America. Slide the credit card next. That's not how it, how it works in Christ. It's not about you finding the perfect person to make you happy. It's about you being the right person. It's about you being a follower of Jesus Christ. Third, Jesus Christ died for your family, your, fa- your spouse, your friends. Treat them with his honor code. If he thinks you're worth dying for, maybe we could show some respect at home, eh? Uh, and then our ability to love really defines our relationships. But we need to learn compassion and empathy. We just need to learn to be kind. And I've got to tell you, your responsibility, my responsibility to love is far more important than my need to be right. And boy, that separates over a lot, a lot of trouble right there. When I think my need to be right and to be accurate overrides my need to love, I am automatically moving outside the will of God. Now, we're not talking about doing doctrine and pure theology. Sure. Yes, you know, you, you can't misquote scripture. I agree. We're talking about the marriage relationship or family relationships. And when you're going to argue about who's right on the date on the milk jug, sell by, drink by, smell by, however you think your rules are, if you think accuracy of information is more important than love at that point, you are not following the way of Jesus Christ at all. So that's just a review. Today I want to talk about the perfect home and perfect roles and relationships. Some of you have no idea what that picture is about. Those of us that are just a little bit older going like, oh, well, we know who that, that's the TV show called Fathers Knows Best and Father Always Knew Best and Robert Young was a fantastic actor, did a great job and uh, he had the perfect family and it was the perfect marriage and all things perfect, kind of the June Ward Cleaver kind of thing and uh, they were the ideal model family, okay? And, and we're going to focus on roles and responsibilities. Very clear cut. You know, Robert's wife would, would be at home to keep the house clean and well ordered and cook very nutritious, pleasant meals. He would come in the door from the office. He would pick up the newspaper, sit down, read the paper. Mom would call everyone to dinner. And it was this, this, this little ideal American 1950s kind of role modeling of relationships. And then this TV show came along right here. And it all changed. <laughs> and there's been obviously several other sitcoms and things that have redefined the family. Uh, from what I'm told, this is one of the better, and that uh, Jack has been shaming husbands ever since that series started. And I'm not bitter at all, at muscles or anything. And then Kevin, your counterparts on that show too. You and Matt and Kevin are all bowed up. So, uh, so what about roles and responsibilities? What about duties and assignments? You know, for example, let me, let me provoke you with a couple of questions. Uh, when are the descriptions of biblical culture transferable to our world? Does it make sense what I just said? When are the descriptors of biblical culture 
transferable into our world. You know, for example, this is going to be very silly, but it'll make the point. It says Jesus and the disciples walked from Bethany to Jerusalem. That's a cultural statement they walked. It doesn't say Jesus uh, took his iPhone, plugged in an Uber you know, ticket, and then an Uber guy picked him up and drove him to, to Jerusalem. So it was a cultural statement that they walked. Now, how do you interpret that statement that they walked? Do you go like, oh, if I'm going to be righteous and follow the way of Jesus, I must sell my cars and walk everywhere I go? Because the scripture says he walked from Bethany to Jerusalem. Well, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? So here's my question. When are descriptors of biblical culture transferable to our world today? And how do we define family roles, marriage roles and responsibilities based on biblical culture? And if you're of the persuasion that, well, I believe the Bible from Genesis to Maps, and whatever it says, I'm just sticking to it. Like, okay. Then, guys, you get to go marry three or four other women. You get to have lots of wives. David had at least seven that we know of. And, and, and Gail's going, no, no, no. Well, one's hard enough to manage, right? <laughs> just kidding. There's a love. Look at that. What an ideal couple right there. Galen shaming husbands for years and years. So when is this stuff transferable? You know, do, you know, do we think that, that women always play the role of the silent, submissive one? And men are always playing the role of the provider leader. Are those considered transcultural roles and responsibilities that are biblical in nature and apply to all women and all, at all times? And for all men in all times, men, you are the provider, you are the leader. Women, you should be silent, you should be submissive, and don't burn the toast. Are those, is that a Christian worldview sort of thing? All right. And uh, what if we applied the way of Jesus to our relationships? And we'll get to that. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you a couple of things with Dennis Rainey. Uh, if you go to the Family Life website and you look at their online articles, uh, this is what Dennis says the role of a husband should be. Well, he should be a leader. 1 Corinthians 11.3, that the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church, just like the husband's the head of the wife. And there's a hierarchy, and it's clear-cut, and it's simple. And it is what it is. Men were leaders. Act like it. And then men, husbands should love their wives unconditionally, based on Ephesians 5.25, that husbands sacrifice. And literally, they, they act like Jesus at home. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then based on John 13, Dennis borrows the idea of service and foot washing and says, you know, we men, we serve our wives. We serve our wives, Okay. How could that be offensive? None of that's offensive, right? Men, be a leader. Love, serve. It's good stuff. Now, his wife, Dennis, his wife, Dennis, his wife, Barbara, says this in the, in the companion article. Ladies, you should be a helper to your husband. That's based on Genesis 2.18. Be a helper. You should respect your husband. Straight out of five, Ephesians 5.33. Literally says, husbands, you know, love your wives, but wives, respect your husband. And then Titus 2.4, love your husband. That's actually there. And then Colossians 3.18, submit to the leadership of your husband. Those are some biblical assignments of roles and responsibilities that Dennis and, and Barbara share through family life and uh, you know, appreciate, appreciate their work and all that they stand for. 
But let's do this. If I went through the scriptures because I really, what I want to push in this series isn't necessarily some of the stereotypical things that you're going to hear from a lot of the parachurch ministries and all that, and which all I agree with and things. I'm not trying to say I disagree with them. But I want you to see, look what Jesus does with family. Number one, avoiding your parents and neglecting your responsibilities towards your parents in the name of religion, religious principle, or spirituality is actually sin in the eyes of God. Here's what some of the Pharisees were doing. They knew there, there's a word called korban, based on the original word of ban, which means that which is forbidden. And they would take a, an Old Testament Hebrew principle called korban, and they would take it and they would drop it on this thing in their life, and they would say, that is korban, this is korban, so it's dedicated just to God. This is, this is all about God. This thing I dedicated, it's all about God. Right? And so they said, hey, I'm kind of stingy with my money. I can dedicate my garden to God and make it, declare my garden Corban. Therefore, I don't have to give my parents any of my tomatoes. Because after all, those tomatoes are for God. Right? No kidding. This is what they actually did. Can you believe this? Mark 7. He was saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. How's that for some serious stuff? But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban. That is to say, dedicated to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Wow. How's that for twisting and abusing Scripture? How's that for assigning roles and responsibilities to the family? What is a son, what is a daughter's role and responsibility toward mom and dad and toward caring for them? How about this? Stop abusing your spouse you know, Matthew 5, the, the divorce section, Matthew 19, divorce section, it's repeated in Mark and Luke. When we hear that, when we work through that, such as some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife, and he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Sclerocardia, because your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. We hear that passage, and we, 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 we bend it into our culture, our world, and we try to say... Um, look for the reasons to stay married, which is good, which is good. But if you look at it through the lens of, of history in the first century world, the, the opposite is actually happening. These Pharisees are looking for a way to get divorced, is what they're doing, because there were two schools. There was the school of Hillel, which, is, which was a very liberal school, 
Okay, they're Democrats. And then you have the, the school of Shammai, they're Republicans, they're conservative school. See, so you're left, thank you for chuckling. There. So the, the, the school of Shammai, the house of Shammai, and the great rabbinical leaders, you know, the house of Shammai, they had their rules. And their rules were this, marriage is really sacred, very conservative, and you can only divorce for a, for a very select few reasons. The school of Hillel, the liberal school, they said, oh, no, no, you can divorce for anything. And it's all spelled out, by the way, in the Mishnah, the writings of the, of the Jews. You don't like the way she looks. You don't like the first night of the honeymoon. You don't like the way she cooks. You find any displeasure in her, get a divorce. Okay? And it is argued that, that there was abuse at that level going on with women. All right? Culturally. So that as, as, a, as a Jew, if you divorce your wife because she burned the toast quote-unquote, from the mission, she spoiled a dish. Then you kick her out. You divorce her. Now, what does that do to a woman in, in Jerusalem? She's now what? Is she damaged goods? Absolutely. What is her hope for a family and, and a husband and children? It's abuse. It is absolute abuse. And so when Jesus gives this teaching, he is actually telling men of his day, Stop abusing women. Stop the abuse. How's that for roles and responsibilities? And by the way, uh, there are things that husbands do to wives that are abusive and they have nothing to do with divorce. Okay? And there are women that can abuse their husbands too, no doubt. Three, obeying God, specifically the gospel and discipleship, is more important than honoring your spouse's expectations. How's that for a role and responsibility for the family? Luke 14. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well, I bought a piece of land, need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. This is about an invitation to the gospel. And it's examples of people making excuses to not be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it very clear that obeying God is more important than fulfilling the expectations of a spouse. Four, there are times when obeying the will of God will be frustrating and misunderstood by your family. Look at this one, Mark 3. And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard this, this is family members, heard this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his mind, he has lost his senses. His own siblings thought he was going crazy. And Mary would dispatch the siblings, go and get Jesus, he's been in the sun too long, something's not right. He's losing his mind. Please tell him to stop. He's taking this whole Messiah thing a little too far. There are times when we do the will of God and we obey, and it will, in fact, be frustrating to our family and be perhaps misunderstood, and that's okay. Because really, in marriage, our husband or our wife are really our second love, aren't they? They're our second love. Who's our first love? The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. 
And the best husband and the best wife loves Jesus first. And then it all, all the other stuff lines up. Number five, you'll appreciate this one. Followers of Jesus should avoid or perhaps may avoid at times family squabbles, particularly motivated by greed. Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his own possessions. There are some messes we just stay out of. Even with our own family, stay out of it. Especially when it is motivated by greed. Because at that point, you will get pulled into it. And either you're going to be blamed for siding with A or blamed for siding with B. Because it's all about greed and pride. And it becomes a mess. Just stay out of it. And there's something really wise about you saying, you know what? I don't think God has appointed me as an arbitrator over you in this situation. I think you need to handle it. You need to work it out. Go slug it out in the backyard. Do whatever you need to do. But I'm not going to be an arbitrator over this mess. Okay? <laughs> or go hire a lawyer. Go hire an attorney, a professional arbitrator or something like that. So, Okay? <laughs> All right. You're the gifted body of Christ. I've shared some very significant things. And I, you know, I agree with Dennis and Barbara. Uh, and all that they're standing for at Family Life. It's an amazing thing that they do there or have done there. Uh, but the fact is, the roles and relationships that are emphasized in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are very, very intense and push us to a very serious level of responsibility, reminding you we can't avoid our parents, we have to honor our parents. By, by the way, I think it's true that how a son or daughter relates to mom and dad in many ways can, can not always, can pick up and drop right down on how they're going to relate to their husband or their wife. I think there's some real truth in that. So uh, for those of you who are single, your ability to relate to your parents is defining for you. Absolutely defining. Uh, we cannot tolerate abuse at home on any level. At all. We've got to obey God even when it means bypassing expectations of a spouse. There are times when we do obey God and it will frustrate our family members. And there are times we just need to stay out of squabbles motivated by greed. Now you're the gifted body of Christ. If, if you have been born again, if you have repented and believed the gospel and you've been baptized and you follow Jesus Christ, his spirit is inside of you and you have spiritual gifts. And those gifts give you wisdom. So here's my question. If you could speak the very words of the Holy Spirit right now about roles and responsibilities and how we do family, what would you say? to maintain a home that really honors God. What would you say?
allows it to overflow out of us into the lives of, of our family and the people around us. I mean, there's nobody can push that away. They can't. And it it really moves people into the right thing. Um, it, it models for them how to, how to live and how to love. Yes, yes. Um, and then, yeah, there's some people that, you know, for whatever their reasons, they push against that. But I think, by and large, people are drawn to that. Yeah, I think the fruit of the spirit is attractive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and really even attractive. If they're not drawn, we our our responsibility is to love him first. Mm. If he if, if we if we can't live with an audience of one um, and be satisfied with just his pleasure in us, then then all we've done is we've moved into the people pleaser mode. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good, Edie. Very good. Yes. You are, you are wise, uh, Allison. It can be done in the Holy Spirit, though, when you're born again. Yeah, absolutely. Someone else, why does this matter? Roles and responsibilities in family. What, if, what do you do in the home, like let's say Leonidi, where Lee just likes to cook, and he just doesn't mind cleaning and kind of enjoys it, and he just loves to serve, but... Edie is this brilliant math brain and she just does finance well and 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 so <clears throat> you almost get the 1950 father's knows best kind of reversal where Lee just he's a servant and he's kind of quietly just takes care of the house you know and it's amazing but but Edie's out there and just running this business thing and it works it works everybody's happy nobody's mad Lee's ego's not threatened and her ego's not threatened or something and they do really well. Is there anything wrong with that? No, I don't think so at all. No, because as head of our home when he says, I'll clean, I go, okay, honey, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Just come right She won't let me clean, though. Oh, you mean she had a... She secretly was domesticating you? No, she will not let me clean. Oh, really? Do you think it's true? Do women actually do that on purpose? Secretly domesticate their, their husbands and, their, and move them toward compliance. 
and we don't even know what's happening? I, I think we have the in the last however hundred years <coughs> we've so just had a massive paradigm shift in day to day life. A hundred years ago and pretty much from the beginning of time up until <coughs> very recently, in nineteen hundreds, for the vast majority of people providing was farming or trade or very hard physical labor and while there are women that are well suited for that statistically on the average they're gonna, they're not. on average if they're you're going to be a blacksmith a tradesman something or a farmer that's just more more suited for the man to go out and do that it just those roles were just genetically you fell into those I think you're right. There, there were needs that need to be met, and it was a very obvious choice who was going to meet those needs out of that team of two people. Right, right. That's right. very different now. Yes. And I mean, we've gone, it, it, now I have this big shift that providing is eight to five, Monday through Friday, and weekends and holidays are off, and, that, and there's. <coughs> seeing some swing back and some balance in that, but just yeah. we're, uh, the, the important thing is that the little people are still alive at the end of the day, and that, <laughs> that we're not crazy, and that, that we're raising them right, and whatever that yeah. looks yeah. like. And, and, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. But I think in, that, in the numbers two and three, what were those? Three and three and four, and I think in obeying God. Yeah, obeying God and, and all that. Just bring that into the light of your family, because kids are watching and watching what you model. Obviously, there's some things that that they need to be shielded from, that they need to be like that, that aren't appropriate to. To share with that, but they're, I think parenting is like 5% verbal and 95%, no matter what we say, they're just going to watch us and, and observe and make decisions from that. So, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. That's good. And they're always, always, always watching. Even always. They're upstairs yeah. behind seven closed doors. They're still, they're still watching somehow. They snuck in there and laying down inside yeah. Yes, that's happened in our house. Nothing can replace this right here love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this thing, there's no law. Nothing replaces the fruit of the Holy Spirit at all. So, Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the gospel, uh, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they, said to the, and they said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. If you have never known what it means to be born again, please, at the end of the service when prayer time, I want you to come see me. I want to talk to you about what it means to give your heart to Christ, what it means to repent to believe the gospel, why you must be baptized. I want to talk to you about that and guide you in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ.
that is core, that is essential to uh, a healthy home. And you as men, above all things, we must be certainly spiritual leaders in our home. And you will be a spiritual leader in your home when you love Jesus above everyone else. I had a, I had a client on the phone, their, their marriage is falling apart, and they called me and, the, and the cry, this guy's crying, he says, Chris, I don't know how to be a godly man. I don't know how to be a spiritual leader in my home. And we, you know, we, we spent some time together. So when Jesus is number one, I'm telling you, it cleans up a lot of mess. Let me say that with again, because I think it's really worth repeating. I didn't get an amen. We're a bunch of, you know, boring old white people. So what do you expect? When Jesus is number one in your life, it cleans up a lot of mess. Do you know what I mean by that? A lot of the pettiness that we get entangled in and the worldly junk and all the mess, oftentimes it's nothing more than the complications of our bad decisions. That's all it is. But if you could make Jesus number one and drop the nets and follow him, as it is said in the Gospels, it just, things get real clear real fast. And so much of the stuff that... We're having to take our high blood pressure medicine over and our Mylanta and our Oh My Stars and all that we have to do, it all goes away. I want to pray for you. Abba Father, thank you. <clears throat> You've made it so clear that it is absolutely defining of us to love and honor our mothers and our fathers. And that the basis of marriage is found first in that relationship. Would you please teach us all, married, single, that we've got to learn to honor mom and dad. And we can't claim religious principle. We can't claim the latest new spun spiritual principle from some parachurch agency or somebody on Facebook. We have to return to your word that you command us to honor our mother and our father. Even when they're wrong, we honor them and we show respect. Our father, teach us to love our husbands and our wives and our kids and to fulfill the God-given roles that you have given us. And, and the, the, the responsibility of all responsibilities is to love and to show the fruit of the Spirit. Please. Thank you so much. And we sing love songs to you now to tell you thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.